Hi, welcome to the Gary and Kenny Show. This is a continuation of our conversation with producer Mark Gordon. We certainly hope you heard the first part because we talked about a lot of things. We talked about what a producer does, how a movie gets made. We talked about the movies that he's made. Oh, little things like Speed, The Day After Tomorrow, Saving Private Ryan. We talked about his television shows like Ray Donovan, Criminal Minds, Grey's Anatomy, just to name a few. Well, in this part, we talked more about the future. We talked about the future of the TV industry, the future of film, and particularly the future of the neighborhood cineplex. Is this the end of the cineplex? Well, God knows, you know, I, my theory is that, you know, in 1950-something, there was what was called the consent decree, which was that, that the movie studios were no longer, to, uh, no longer allowed to own theaters. They had, it was a monopolization and they had to divest. Just in the last three or four months, six months, I don't know exactly when, that law was repealed. And now studios can own movie theaters again. So instead of making a film and being able to, to uh, reap 50% of the box office, you get 100% of the box office if you own theaters. So sadly, I think you'll see fewer theaters I think they will become event venues, and I think that they will be owned by Amazon and Netflix, and they will be used as a tool to augment the opportunity to see those uh, movies on a television. And I guess they don't call them TVs. What, what do you call those things anymore? Still call the television set? Yeah, it's called the television set. Is there TV. another name I should know about? I don't know. They're like big things the now. streaming box? I don't know what the hell it's well, called. Yeah, the but flat they, screen. I, I, yeah. yeah, no, but they will. When I speak to uh, my kids and ask them, you know, what you watch, they'll say, "Well, I watched on Amazon." They don't say, "I watched on TV last night." They'll right. say, "I watched on Amazon." I watched on Netflix. They kind of identify the platform or, rather than the device because they can they're watching the device anywhere. My kids would even, you know, before Netflix and Amazon were as prevalent it would be we would TiVo everything and they wouldn't have any idea what network it was on. Right. They just saw the show. Maybe a logo came up at the beginning. They wouldn't remember. They, they, they wouldn't know the difference between ABC and YouTube. We, we knew what shows were on what network. So, Mark, is this the end of network television? I mean, you've produced Grey's Anatomy, Criminal, uh, Criminal Minds, you know, Ray Donovan, uh, Army Wives. Is this the end of traditional network television as well? I mean, my kids don't know if it was on NBC or whatever uh, my, the platform was. My guess was. is that what will happen... Look, part of the problem with network television uh, is that they were at a disadvantage for a long time because they could only make money through commercials, whereas cable channels were getting it, you know, a quarter of a penny or a half a penny or whatever the, whatever they were charging the, the, the cable providers uh, uh, for the, for their programming. My guess is that over time, NBC, ABC, CBS will either disappear or merge into a more specialty platform with fewer viewers. 
I think that's going to take some time. I don't think it's going to be in the next couple of years. But, you know, when you, you know, at a certain point when you have the Walt Disney Company and they have Hulu and FX and brands, mm -hmm. then you say, well, what's ABC's brand? Well, they don't have a brand because they're, they were never meant to have a brand. Yeah, for a while there, they were the woman's network or they were the softer network. At one point, they were the comedy. I mean, historically, they've been been certain things. But I think that, you know, the world is changing and people just want to know exactly what they're going to get from where. And what's, what's happened is that the shows become the brands or the talent becomes the brand. So Shonda Rhimes is a brand uh, and she made ABC and kept it afloat for a long time. J.J. Abrams is a, band, a brand. Ryan Murphy is a brand. Um, they're not, it's not like they're 20 um, uh, 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 brands, but there are, there are a handful. Uh, you know, is, um, is uh, uh, what's his name who does blackish and grownish and, and Jewish? <laughs> Whatever the names of these shows are. Uh, I think it was his name behind... Hamish, but but exactly. but Mark, would you take Grey's Anatomy today if it was a new project? Would you take yes. that to the network, or would you take that to Amazon or Netflix? Would you still go to a network with a new yes. show? There are certain shows. Look, networks get bigger audiences. There are certain kinds of shows that these other streaming platforms don't want to make. They want to buy them, and I will tell you something else. By the way. <laughs> uh, Mo the most successful shows on Netflix, at least until very recently, if not still, are Grey's Anatomy and Criminal That's Mind. Right. Not their yeah. original stuff. And Designated Survivor. I, I Designated watched Fringe for the first time only because right. it's on Netflix yeah. or Amazon, actually. So, so you know, so, by the way, um, um, Schitt's Creek was not on Netflix. Yeah, right. They bought it. It was it was a Canadian broadcasting show, and then it was on Pop Network, which nobody even I don't know that I've never watched the Pop Network, but that's who was was paying for it. So the fact is that there are certain things that that are still network shows, and they always say they want to do more interesting stuff, but they don't because in the end, their audience is is you know wants stuff that is lean back, as they say, not lean forward. Part of our audience, uh, you know, is, is, is broken into two parts. Sometimes it's literally two people. but Friends and family. Right. <laughs> One part likes to know what's going on in the business, how you get things done, etc. Et right. Another part just wants a little bit of gossip. Now, I right. don't expect any gossip from you, but the first name that always comes up with Grey's Anatomy is Patrick Dempsey. What's he like? Is he cool? Yes. Is he a nice guy? Yeah. Give, give my wife that little tidbit, will you? He, he's a great guy. Um, you know, uh, he's look when when we cast Patrick in in Grey's Anatomy, his career was in the toilet. Yeah, I mean, he could not get arrested, and we, but he came in, and you know, I hadn't seen him in, on the screen anywhere for years, and he came in, and he wasn't this skinny little boy that we remember as a child actor. And when I say child, I don't know how old he was, 15, 16, 18, yeah. but he was a young, he was a little boy. Kind and of all dorky. Of a sudden he comes in and he, you know, he wasn't heavy, but I mean, he was, you know, he filled out, he was a man, he had gray in his hair. I mean, he was a, he was a grown up, And he's so goddamn charming. And you just go, wow, you know, that guy's so great. Um, 
I found him to be delightful to work with. Look, there have been a lot of stories about how he was difficult on set. All actors have their moments. He certainly had his. But from my personal experience, um, I found it to be, and again, I wasn't dealing with him every day the way Shonda was. Uh, I was a non-writing executive producer. I launched the show. I developed it with her. I was very involved in the first year. But, you know, when things are working, sometimes um, the, the, um, the best thing you can do is leave people to do their work, you know? So producing is, is, is not about how much you can oversee. It's, it's how much you can just, if, if you've done your job as a producer, you have very little to do because that means you've put it together with the right people and they're all doing their job. And the worst thing you can do is start poking around where there doesn't need to be poking. It's like, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Um, you want to make yourself dispensable as soon as possible, particularly on a TV show. I have to go. Uh, first of all, I want to say thank you so much. And you and Ken will probably talk for a little while. Uh, the reason I have to go is it's very relevant to the world right now. My mother has uh, been diagnosed with COVID and she's in isolation. She's 93 years old, so it's a very God, scary situation. That is scary. Um, she's doing well, as well as you can do when you're 93 and you having difficulty breathing and so on. But I have a conference with her nurses and the doctor to just know what is happening. And so that happens right now. Guys, thanks so much. Best of luck, Gary. Um, so, Mark, it's just yeah. the two of us, finally. Here's what I, I want to do. I want to ask you about a couple of movies that I'm interested in. Okay. And then I'm going to ask you about any movies that were, you think were significant that we didn't talk about. Sure. But I think the movies that I want to talk about is the first one is Steve Jobs. Yep. Um, well, Steve Jobs was, you know, a really interesting opportunity, obviously. Um, Did you have permission would, and cooperation from the family? No, no. Uh, the interestingly enough, um, uh, Walter Isaacson wrote a, wrote the book, um, and he had full permission and cooperation. Uh, Steve wanted that book written, and he wanted Walter to write it, and he invited him in to write that, and brought him into his life. And Walter was, you know involved with Steve right up until the time that he died, literally. Um, and I got the opportunity through the agent to come in uh, and read the book early. I was a client of that agency, uh, ICM, and I was a big client. And so they, they you know, they, they said, Would, is this interesting to you? I said, yes. And it just so happened that the that the uh, chairman of Sony, who was a friend of Walter Isaacson's, um, was also interested in the book. And so we couldn't get a copy of it. He went to ICM and sat in a room. I went to ICM and sat in a room. And over a period of five or six hours, I very quickly read the book. And so I read some, I skimmed some, I read some, I skimmed some. And it was amazing. And, you know, the story of his life was, was quite amazing. And, um, and. 
But the family did not cooperate, the daughter and... No, they tried to stop us from getting the movie made. They, they called the people that Steve had relationships with at Disney, um, at Sony. The point is that, that uh, Danny Boyle, who's a terrifically talented director and has made some great movies, um, I felt that they really humanized him. And yes, he was a bastard. Yes, he was tough. Yes, he was, could be cold. Uh, certainly, uh, he behaved uh, uh, unchivalrously with his ex-wife and child. I don't think they were ever married. Um, but I felt that it was a true portrait of him based on not just what, uh, what was in the book, but also the research that Aaron did, and he did it a ton. Um, and I also felt that, that he was, if not redeemed in the end as a human being or as a character, that he was certainly uh, given... <sighs> He got a lot of he got a lot of leeway for being how he was. I, I think that that we got to see a very interesting portrait of someone, and I also thought the movie was extremely well done and very clever, and and it was beautifully made both directorially and be, the way the script you know was was the depiction of that character in only picking those specific moments. But the choice, but the choice of Michael. Fastbinder was that always going to be it, or did you? How how do we, the casting of Steve Jobs was that we knew he was going to be this guy all the time, or no? No, 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 no. There were a number of people that were discussed. There were a number of actors that were considered. Uh, there were a number of actors who who thought about it seriously. Um, Christian Bale was one of them. He was actually going to do the movie and decided that he couldn't didn't feel good about playing that character. There was a lot of conversation. Um, I thought Michael was amazing in the movie. He was amazing. I thought he was as honest and true and real as you could possibly get. And I well, think it's one of the best things that he's ever done as an actor. So, Aaron, let's talk about Aaron Sorkin. Unbelievable writer. I, I mean, just brilliant. He's amazing. Writes Molly's Game, uh, based on this woman who ended up running this Hollywood uh gambling ring i don't know what would you call it yeah yeah gambling yeah. ring and so he writes the script you like you read the script and you go well who should direct this the, the 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 short version of the story is that we talked to a number of different directors but from the beginning i said aaron i want you to direct the movie and was he open to it or was he nervous no, he didn't want to direct the movie. He goes, I'm not the best director for it. And but this, he, had he directed before? No. So this was just for, okay. Yeah. And I said, you're the guy. And he said, no. And I said, you're the guy. And it took me and my partner on the movie, Amy Pascal, it took many, many, many months. To con I mean, six months, seven months. I just kept going, Aaron, you should direct the movie. And finally, he said yes. Um, and now you start to see the, the results. Are you going, he's got it, you're on set, he's got command of it, he knows what he's doing, no problems? He was a natural. He was a natural. And I was really worried, not because I didn't think he could do it, 
But as a writer, you can be as obsessive and detailed as you want because it's a script. You know, you want to spend another week writing it? Spend another week. You want to, you know, polish up the script 10 times? Go ahead. There's no, it doesn't cost anything. You, you're just doing it. When you're making a film, you got to get through your days. You've got to stay on budget. We had a completion bond. It wasn't like a studio movie or it was like, oh, he's over. It's like, no, 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 no. You got to, this is how much money you have and you got to make the movie for the money that we have. He was amazing. All right, um, I'm going to let you pick out from your long list of movies, things that we haven't touched on that you'd go, you know what's, I, there was another great movie experience or interesting movie experiences. There one, regardless of box office or success that you go was, was a bizarre experience. You know, the, 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 among the most difficult movies I've made in many ways is a movie called Hard Rain, which did not do well. Um, it was uh, Morgan Freeman and Christian Slater, Randy Quaid. Um, it, the whole movie takes place in the rain and, and, uh, and uh, in a flood. And we couldn't, we, you know, the hardest thing about a movie like that is, well, how do you shoot it and where do you shoot it? And, you know, aside from wanting to tell a great story and work with great actors and, and you want to, you know, you want a great script, the fun of making movies is also, how do you do that? How do we make that happen? How do you, you know, I remember on, on the day after tomorrow, we would, you know, we sold the script and Fox said they want to make it. And Roland was talking about the, all the different things that we were going to do. And I remember walking out of the meeting with him and I said, how do we, how do we do this? He goes, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, but you figure it out. And if you figure it out well, it looks great. And if you figure it out not so well, it looks crappy. But, you know, you, you do your best. And, and technology continues to get better. And, but, that's, but that's certainly part of it. With this movie, we didn't want to shoot it outside because we, you know, we didn't want to deal with the elements and, yeah. and the wonder. Yeah. So we Last thing you need on a movie called Hard Rain is a sunny day. Exactly. Um, and even if, and then we thought, well, do we shoot it outside in the tank at night? Do we shoot the whole, do we, do we build something and do we do a giant tent? What we did was we went up to uh, Palmdale where they make the B-2 bomber, the uh, Bow. I think it was, I think it's Boeing. Mm -hmm. I can't remember, but whoever they are, uh, 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 and they might've changed, maybe it was Grumman. I can't remember, but they have this, this, this hangar it was literally, you know, two or three football fields long by a couple of football fields wide. And we built, at a cost of millions of dollars, a tank. Then we built the set of the town in the tank. Wow. Then we filled it with water. And then what we had to do, as we had two levels, two or three levels, we would have to redo the set to, to make the building small, uh, shorter so that it looked like the water was higher. So the, the, the movie didn't <laughs> turn out so well, but the monumental Herculean task of making that film was just so difficult and mind-bogglingly difficult. 
I, just I remember said, visiting you there, and you had an office set up uh, up top yeah. there in the rafters, and yeah. uh, you were just fr frayed and fried, and that was oh, a tough God. one. It was, it was really difficult. But what and, was the story that happened with Christian Slater in that movie? Well, sadly, he got into a big fight with his girlfriend right before the, uh, uh, before the um, movie opened. And I think he bit a cop's ear or he bit somebody. I can't remember. I don't, I was, I was out of town on, I don't know where I was. It might've been shooting another movie and I don't know where, uh, but I just remember that he had to go, he was going to jail and they literally, it was the night of the premiere. I wasn't there. I think it was shooting something. And I, I just remember then, you know, he went in and, and they we, we were able to get him not to take him to jail until after the premiere or after the red carpet, because we wanted the publicity. And, you know, after the red carpet, they uh, said, uh, here you go. And they took him away. <laughs> it was weird. The movie did not do well. It was, it was an expensive failure. I've had more than one or two. Um, but it was a really interesting experience. And, you know, I'm sorry that they lost money on it. You never want to lose money for anybody, but you know, it's a crapshoot. Everybody knows what, what risk they're taking. And, um, and that's showbiz. That's showbiz. That's show business. That's yeah. exactly right. Uh, any other movies or experiencing that you go, this movie was a fun movie, a great movie. I had a wonderful time in this movie. Certainly all the movies that I've done with Roland have been um, really great uh, and, and fun. And he's a lot of fun to work Did with. Did he do 10,000 BC? Yes. Yes. That was not fun. Uh, it was neither fun nor was it good. Um, it was hard and way over budget and incredibly difficult. Well, what was on the script? People grunting? What was the script? Well, in the original script, there was no dialogue at all. Oh, my God. I mean, literally, there was nobody speaking. It was grunting. It was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a made-up language. And by the way, that was the best, best version of the script. And I, I'm, I'm not joking. It was, it was a primal, smaller movie. But then what happens is, you know, a Warner Brothers wants to make it and then got expensive. And then we got to shoot in South Africa. But then we have to go to New Zealand for these scenes. And we had to build, we built, the, we built sets in South Africa and we decided, we didn't decide, Roland decided, no, 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 I want to move these sets to New Zealand. So we had to get, um, like in 2012, you know that giant Russian plane? Yes. We had to get a couple of those, and we had to bring all the sets to, to, to New Zealand, and then they were all broken up in the plane. So we had to rebuild them. I mean, it, was, it cost the movie so much money, and it was, I'll leave it to you. Is there, while you're producing it, do you know what's going down? Are you going yeah. Oh, you know it's going down. Well, a lot of times. I mean, yeah. you know, you have to think that it's going to be okay. But, but you can also think to yourself, this is insane. Or I sure as fuck wouldn't let anybody, I wouldn't let me do this. Mm -hmm. I would mm -hmm. say no. But, you know, certain directors, especially when they make hits, you don't want to say no to them. And I said to Roland, I, I, he said, I want to move the... I want to move the, 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 um, this sequence to New Zealand. And I said, oh, all right, well, let me see what it's going to cost. And it was some ungodly sum. It was like $10 million. Or it was supposed to be six. It doubled that. That's a lot of money. And I said, 
I don't think you want to do that. He goes, no, I really do. And I said, what, 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 what grand reason did he have? Well, he had a good reason, which is that the background was so much better. And the visual, he, 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 I don't want to say that he made a mistake, but he, we made a mistake. We didn't scout properly. We didn't look at something until it was too late. Somebody scouted second unit and he realized, fuck, I don't want that to be second unit. I want it to be first unit. I want the vistas. I want the snow. I want the whatever. And I kept saying, do you really think it's worth it? Yes. I said, I don't know. And then he said, I really want it. And, and my job, because he brought me in on the movie, I said, okay, let me, let me get it. And we got it, but, you know, was it worth it? I mean, Of your, of your movies, um, which surprised you most that it was a hit and which surprised you most that it was a bomb? You know, I was really surprised that The Nutcracker was such a flop. Uh, and that's a movie that I did a couple years ago. It was very expensive. I mean, like, super-duper expensive. Um, I didn't think it was a great film, and we had a lot of problems. We, we had to hire another director because we had a du- director issue. It was cut by committee, which is never good. Uh, one of the members of the committee was me, which, you know, it's fun, but it's you know, not necessarily a recipe for success. I thought the movie would do fine. It was a it was a f- massive flop, and I never under I could I don't understand to this day why it was received so badly, mm. uh, and people didn't want to see it. Um, I made a movie called Casanova. Yes, director, by the way, maybe I should have known. I liked it. I mean, it wasn't. I'm not saying it was a great film, but it was a it was a fucking disaster. Heath Ledger. I know, and he was great in it. You know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, I did well, I'll ask you about two more. I didn't, I didn't know that Saving Private Ryan was going to be a big, big a hit, a big, as big a hit as it was. Um, Speed, I, by the way. I had no idea that Speed was going to be that big a hit. I thought, as a matter of fact, it's a funny story. We, we, did, a, we did a preview out in Orange County. And after the, it was our first preview and it was a huge, and people loved the movie. And um, Tom Sherrick, who has passed away a few years ago, great guy, head of uh, distribution at Fox at the time. And this is, well, it's 27 years ago, 28 years ago. He says, okay, we're going to open it on June 10th. And I said, well, what are we up against? The sequel to, um, what was that Billy Crystal movie, the Western that, you know. The yeah, City, City Slickers. City Slickers, which had been a gigantic hit. Right. And I said, you're out of your mind. And he said, nope, we're opening up against City Slickers. I said, we're going to get slaughtered. And he goes, nope, this movie's going to be a huge hit. And I said, look, I, I know, but we, we got no real movie star. That was a, that's a sequel of, a, of a, a movie that was a gigantic hit. He goes, trust me, 
And I said, do I have a choice? He said, no. I said, okay, then I'm thrilled. And the movie killed, you know? Yeah. And we, we slaughtered that movie. Same weekend, June 10th, 1990, whatever the fuck it was. Um, 94, 93, I don't remember. But the point is that that surprised me. You know, that, that surprised me that, that, I mean, after a couple more previews, I kind of knew that it was amazing. And the audience went crazy for that movie. Here's one quickly. When people, when you meet people and they go and they say, what do you do for a living? And you say, I'm a producer. Or do you even avoid saying you're a producer? No, I say I'm a film and television producer. Uh, and they say, and, you, and they go, really? What have you done that I've seen? What do you say? You know, I say Saving Private Ryan or Speed or, you know, luckily I got a few things I can say. So, uh, so no, I know, I know, enough, but okay. Successful movies and television shows that I can, you know, pick and choose a little bit, which is nice. But I bet you get, I get you get a lot of jaw drops like, oh, wow. I mean, it's people say to me, what have I directed? You know, I say I've done a few Disney shows or whatever, and, but Nothing like, I can't say, oh, you remember that little movie I did called Saving Private Ryan? You might have no, heard of that one. Not to say it that way, but yes, it's, it's nice to be able to, 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 to share that with people. Okay. Um, so you get asked by everybody. I don't know anybody in the business. I don't know how to get into show business. I want to do something in the film business. What do I do? How do I do that? What can, how can just a, a, a schnook like me from the small town America find my way into Hollywood? Come to Los Angeles, pound the pavements, use every connection that you have, and you, even if you don't think you have any, you do, and, and just keep pushing. That's what I did. I didn't know anybody. I lived on some guy's uh, Murphy bed for a while. Yes, you did that. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to point out that Mark and I were roommates. He lived on my Murphy bed. And, I, uh, you know, and you know I, that. You know who I knew? I knew you. That was it. I but that's why I said NYU Connection. We, that, that we met at NYU. That's true. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, you remember, listen, and even after I moved out of your, you probably don't remember this. I moved out of your apartment. I was living in this shitty place, which was, you know, your place was like the fucking Taj Mahal compared mm. to my, because you had a job, I had nothing. And I would come to your apartment almost every day and sit in your kitchen and use it as my office while you were at work <laughs> so I could get out of my house. And, you know, I literally had my routine. I would go, uh, there was a market on Wilshire Remember that market near yes. your house? Yes, of course I did. Go yeah. buy one of these frozen things for like $1.95. I'd have a little walk. I'd, I'd come over to your house. I'd stick it in the microwave. I'd sit and take my lunch break. And then I'd get back on the phone and call people, try to get a job. I would say, don't you long for those days? And I would actually, <laughs> no. Not, neither of us long for those days. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. tell this quick story and then I'm going to let you go. Because people ask me, uh, you know, like, how does Mark do it? I was in Mark's office, I believe you were at Paramount, and you were trying to get a script sold. Nobody was interested in it. And by the way, people, Mark 
was nervous, his hands were clammy, but he would make the call, no matter how nervous he was. What, but, but if he had to make the call, he made the call. Me, I would find any other reason to, well, I'll call them later. I don't want to bother them because it's five o'clock. They might be sitting down to dinner, so I won't say that. Mark made the calls. So he goes, watch this. So he gets on the phone and he's talking to, I don't know who, who he's talking to. And, the, and the, he goes, yeah, Mark, everything's great. It's, matter of fact, I have this script, this property that everybody's interested in. And I could hear the other guy on the other phone go, really, can you tell me about it? And Mark was like, no, nah, I, I really, I, told, I said I couldn't. It's not, it's not available. And the, you had this guy so baited because he could not have this script until finally at the, the end of the conversation, you relented and said, okay, listen. I'll send you the script, but you can't tell anybody. Do you remember doing that? No, that's a great story. What, yeah. you remember the script? No, 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 no. I remember sitting there going, this is brilliant. This is so good. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. it's all show business, right? Yeah, no, you did good, Mark. You did good. All I can say is this, this is the um, kind of show that I love. Because I love stories about film, and I love stories about television, and... My friend Mark was kind enough to come on and talk about it. And it's just great to listen to these stories and these anecdotes. It's, um, it's something that I really enjoy. Uh, so thank you, my dear thank friend. Thank you, and I loved it. Thanks, Mark. See you, pal. All See right, you soon. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Mark Gordon as much as we did. You can catch us on all the popular platforms, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and if you actually want to see what we look like, on YouTube.